Would you please take your Bible this morning? And I hope that you have a Bible that you are reading. If you are reading it, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you're not reading your Bible on a regular basis, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2 as well, and you can start right now. What do you think? You know, our, our connection with God is this book right here. Without this book, you don't have any God. You say, well, God's there. Well, he is. Well, how do you know God's there? Because God revealed himself through the word. Now, I think there's some young people that are going to go to junior church while we're going to Philippians chapter 2. If you'd like to do that, feel free, young people. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to talk to you today about a man who was an everyday Christian who became an example. I call him an everyday Christian because as far as I know, there is... Nothing amazing about the background of this man. It's not explicitly stated what his official role was. It's not definitely known to be a pastor or an apostle. Certainly indications. But I think it's a man that could really, his biography could line up with anyone's here. And we're going to find out about this man in chapter 2, verse number 24. Paul's been talking about Timotheus, and he says, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Paul, the apostle, had gone through many a trial. He was shipwrecked once on the Isle of Malta. He, along with his companions Luke and Aristarchus, maybe others, and when that happened, he lost everything. He had given everything to follow Christ. But again, it was another major challenge in his life, another crisis. So Paul, that was on his way to Rome, and now he is in Rome. And he had men who would come and spend time with him in prison. And uh, it was then as it is today. If you're in prison, polite society raises its eyebrows and says, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. It must be something that he's doing wrong. We saw that in Philippians chapter 1. Paul said that some people were saying that he's in jail, rightly so, because of what he's done. You can't, you can't go crossways against the government. Well, Paul had, he did it for the cause of Christ. But thankfully, there were men who came to visit him and some women who would come and spend time with him. 
and pray with him and encourage him. Hey, don't give up, Paul. Don't get discouraged. There were people who would uh, come and write for him, what we might call an amanuensis today, someone who is a, 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 a ghost writer, someone who is actually taking down the words and sending it for Paul. And the church at Philippi was no exception. They said, he's been such a blessing to us. Let's be a blessing to him. And they sent a man named Epaphroditus. He is the one that was sent. And he came with a care package from the Philippians, uh, Philippian church to the prison and said, hey, uh, you know, they, this, is, this is from our hearts to yours. And uh, well, what, are, what are these cookies? Oh, these, these cookies, that was Mrs. So-and-so. She said those were her grandmother's recipe. She said, I, they're a blessing. And he took a bite and he said, wow, that is a, a unique recipe for sure. Uh, that's one of the hardest cookies I've ever had. She said, well, she, said, she insisted that we send them. Oh, look at these. These are wool socks. Well, that's going to come in handy this winter. That's a blessing. He's going through this care package, the money that he needed, because in that time, uh, the prison system did not have all the major reforms and all the uh, people, in some cases, needed reform, some cases, bleeding hearts that want to to take care of people to the nth degree. And uh, as a result of that, um, they had to take care of themselves. And, And so he did not have three hots and a cup. He had to be taken care of by those outside. He relied on gifts like this. So the messenger who came uh, from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was, is this guy Epaphroditus. Look at chapter 4, look at verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18. He said, but I have all, this is Paul saying, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So Paul received that blessing. Now he is sending a thank you letter back to Epaphroditus. Remember when we used to do thank you notes, right? Now, you may be the kind of person that sends a thank you note for a thank you note. I don't know how far you have to take that, but I do think it's important to say thanks. And Paul is saying thank you here, but because this was not just the first time that they'd sent this, but in chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us that they had sent once and again. Uh, They had sent gifts while he was there in Thessalonica. And uh, when he was in Corinth, verse number 15, they had sent something to him. And uh, they had given, not because they had so much money laying around that they just were like, I don't know, what should we do? Should we throw our money away? Should we burn it? I know, let's send it to Paul. No, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that these churches of Macedonia, that's where Philippi was, Philip of Macedonia, so the region is called Macedonia, and specifically Philippi. This is a very, very patriotic uh, town, but the, the Bible tells us that they gave out of their what? poverty. They were poor, and because they were poor and thankful, they gave. You see, the reason why we don't give is not because we don't have the money to give. It's because we're not thankful. Um, The Philippians were so thankful, so full of joy and love for Paul that they gave even though they didn't really have the money to give. But they did have the money to give. What did they do? They just decided what they would rather do. Either have this money or give it away. I'd rather give it away. And that's what they did. 
But the, chow, the difficulty that we're finding here in this, chow, in this passage is that when Epaphroditus went from Philippi to Rome, somehow or other, it was, it, he got sick, either on the journey or when he got there, and he got deathly sick. He was terminally ill. I mean, he was right up to death's door. He might have gotten sick from traveling. If you, if you figure it out through the most common route, it's possible that he would have traversed some uh, 670 American miles on foot. Now, if you walk, let's say you walk four miles an hour, it's a pretty good, you know, pretty good gait for a human. And, and you walk 10 hours a day, you're going to take, I don't know, a couple weeks to do it. Um, if you're stopping, if you're talking to anyone, it'll take you longer. It's a long, long way. And, and, and if it was a rocky terrain, now you're slowing down to maybe, you know, two and a half miles an hour or something like that. It's going to take you much longer. And, and so that's the way he probably would have come on those roads, maybe on a ship here or there in certain connecting points. And so remember, of course, when Paul said, come over into Macedonia and help us, um, he saw the vision of the man saying, come over. That meant he had to go over the sea, the Mediterranean. He had to cross over from Asia Minor, where he was, over to the area of, of uh, Philippi, which is now the area of Greece. And of course, uh, at that time, it was all part of the Roman Empire. So he, he could have gotten sick from that. He could have gotten sick through, you know, just pneumonia. Maybe he, you know, terrible weather conditions. He wasn't riding in a Cadillac. Uh, he was walking. If he was riding, even, he's exposed to the elements. Uh, he might have eaten some food on the way and gotten food poisoning. Who knows? Have you ever gotten food poisoning? Isn't it kind of weird how you can almost remember exactly where it was, what you ate specifically? You know, whether you're right or not, you're like, I'm never eating that again. And maybe that was Epaphroditus. He got sick. Um, Maybe he got sick when he got to Rome. And I don't know. But either way, he didn't he did not get sick um, out of the line of duty. It was in the line of duty that caused him to get sick. So what happens now is when Epaphroditus gets sick in Rome, now the people back at Philippi, they hear that, that he got sick, and now they're really concerned. They're really concerned. Well, when Epaphroditus got better, this wasn't like you know typing an email or sending a text message. When Epaphroditus got better, he recovered. Now he starts worrying about the people back at Philippi who had been worried for him. Because he's like, has anybody told them that I'm better? Has anybody, you know, communicated? I'm not dying anymore. I'm doing a lot better. I need to make sure I let them know that. So that's what this letter is, is all about as well. Paul is including that saying, Epaphroditus is doing well, even though he was really sick. So you see throughout this whole passage, there's a lot of mutual concern. Paul is concerned about the Philippians being concerned about uh, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned about the Philippians who are concerned for him. And uh, they're all just, it all boils down to caring for one another. It really does. And that may not be, it's not everybody. It may remind you that it's not a form of weakness. It's not a feminine characteristic to care. Though it seems that, uh, that, that, that women often do have more of a concern, 
uh, more of a natural concern. But I will, t- I will say this, from my vantage point, watching uh, my wife and the sacrifice that she made raising our five children, first having those children, then raising them, um, I think it's something that is learned and you grow in. Because when you wake up in the middle, when you're aw- awoken at three in the morning by a, a brat who won't stop crying, I'm sorry, a child, a child who won't stop crying, um, you have a decision to make. Do I care or do I not care? Why? At the very least, you want to make sure nothing is wrong. Now, some people say, let your kids cry if they're okay, and that's good. That's good. Because, you know, at some point, (laughs) we like to manipulate to get what we want, don't we? We're okay, but we like other people to think that we're not okay. If we can milk it longer, we will. But, But on the flip side... The idea that says, well, people hurt, life is pain, deal with it, just roll with it, that's how it is, that's not very Christ-like either. Because what happens in that case is that you begin to develop calluses where you should have feelings. And sometimes we say, I don't want to have feelings. Feelings hurt me. Feelings have lied to me. And I've been taken advantage of many times by feelings, so I'm not going to feel anymore. Well, it's understandable. You know, a blister is, an, is the body's attempt to protect the body from further harm. It's, it's a dome, literally, that raises up between the, le- the layers of the skin and says, hey, hey, back off, back off. I'm thankful for calluses that can develop after those, 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 those domes rise up. But you know, the body is not intended to be one tough layer of leather. That's not what your skin is intended to to be. In the spiritual realm, you're not intended to be rough, tough, and hard to bluff like a piece of leather. That's me. I don't give a rip about nothing. Praise God. (laughs) You ever hear somebody preach like that? You know, and it's almost as if the godliest people don't give a rip. Well, you got to have calluses against the right things. So if a guy says, well, I was going to dig a ditch, but I started getting this callus. And I was like, oh, no, my body is it's going to get hurt. I was like, I'm not doing that. Hey, you need to grow up and be a man. Maybe you get a pair of gloves so that you don't have to have calluses all over your hands. Right. But the, the point is, what's the work? If the work brings that, then so be it. If you're trying to avoid calluses, okay, you've got a problem. But I, but I will say, as believers, we've got to be capable of being affected by other people. Part of coming to church, the reason why we come and don't just live stream services is because it forces us to reckon with the fact that there are other people in this world besides me. How many of you have been out to eat and seen three or four or five people in a family at a table all looking at their phones? You know, they used to do that, uh, but they had, they had magazines and books. Why? It's not a brand new thing that humans don't care about other people. This has been going on since the beginning. The first two brothers couldn't get along. Why? Well, because of one of them. One of them didn't care. He was mad. He didn't care about the feelings of the other one. 
So God puts us together, and the purpose of a church is to remind us that someone left their place to come to this place. We all, we're not going to, some people think, well, we should be at church more often and more. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I think we ought to be at church uh, as often as we're asked to be there. I think we ought to join together. But God never intended for us to build a commune on these 15 acres. He doesn't want us all living here. He wants us living there and then coming here and then going there and back and forth. It forces us to deal with unusual people, different circumstances, with, with, with those senses, sensations that I do not have in me, but you have. And you get to deal, what a blessing, with the sensations that I have. We, we impact one another. We are sensitive to one another. And there are sometimes, I think, we, we emphasize our, our, our culture is fast becoming more neutral, not feminine. It used to be that we're trying to feminize the men. And, uh, and because we're reacting against masculinizing the entire culture. Well, we shouldn't masculinize it. We shouldn't feminize it. Well, what are we now? We're whatever you want to be. We're neutral. We're gender neutral. And we attack both sides. One says, well, I don't want to turn into a woman. I'm thank- the, rabbi- the rabbis used to, to pray, I thank God that I am not a woman. I'm not a Gentile. I'm not a woman. I mean, that's literally what they used to pray. And, and so we thought, well, I, I don't need that. And then, you know what the problem with this world is? Toxic masculinity. Right? At the end of the day, what are we doing? We're reacting to one another. And we've got, a, we've got a, there's some idiocy that goes on in American culture. We need to be able to stand. Men should be men. Women should be women. But in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. Do you realize that a woman, and we talk about this sometimes. Well, I just need a woman's Bible study to really talk about what a woman really deals with. Let me encourage you. The Bible, the Holy Bible, it doesn't say the Holy Bible female version. The Holy Bible for men. You know, in some ways, it's a selfish move. Do women have certain issues that they need? Yes, they do have. And we have Bible studies for ladies. But you don't need to study the Bible from a female perspective because in Christ, you have all that you need. You don't need to study the Bible from the male perspective in that, oh, I just want to know what God really thinks. If you want to know what God wants you to do and how he wants you to think as a man, that's right in there. But it's not a different Bible. Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? What God wants us all to do is to absorb, to understand, and to absorb the feelings of Jesus Christ. How is he impacted? You know, the way that, mom, you should respond to your kids is the way that Jesus would respond to your kids. Sir, you know the way you should respond to your wife? The way that Jesus would respond to your wife. You don't need a camo-covered Bible to understand how God wants you to be. You need to get in the Bible and read the words. And what happens is, as you're reading the words, and I'm reading the words, and by the way, if you have a camo-covered Bible, you're okay, all right? 
You're reading the words. I'm reading the words. She's reading the words. He's reading the words. We're all being drawn together into one spirit. We're all growing up into one man, that man, Jesus Christ. So the list of how should I act and how should I feel, it's the same. It applies to the young men in this this area, the aged men over here, the aged women, the young women. Yes, there are different uh, categories and and there's different instructions given, but it's the same Lord and he pulls us together. I say that because I want you to see here, Epaphroditus is this man. I want to present to him, uh, present him to you this morning as a model for you and for me. So if you're a woman here this morning, And by the way, I just have to say this. There is a difference between man and woman. You know this, right? How do I know that? The Bible says, uh, in the beginning, he created them male and female. Uh, They're not interchangeable. Um, Why would you want to change? Uh, God made you a male or he made you a female. And God intends for you to be that. Now, I don't like culture's view of women. It doesn't matter what culture says or what anybody else says. It matters what saith the scriptures. So you get in the Bible and find out what God thinks of women, what God thinks of men, and then you do your best to live those characteristics out. That's a sidebar. Don't clock, don't, don't mark that down against my time, okay? Epaphroditus. I'm going to present him as a model to you for every believer. And you'll see how he became, look at all the, the words that are used about this man in chapter 2. You've got all of these verses from verse 25 all the way to verse 30. Six verses. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of information, especially for a man who doesn't really show up much any other place other than the book of Philippians. Let's look at him. I want you to see, first of all, his work, Epaphroditus' work. And it is in two parts, I see. Number one, his training regimen. And then secondly, under his work, his ministry role. So his training regimen and then his ministry role. How did he become such a blessing to the church at Philippi, such a blessing to the people, uh, to, to the man in, in Rome, Paul? And how, did it get, how was it that there were letters passing back and forth saying, hey, how's everybody doing? I care about you. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. I love everybody. How did that all happen? By the way, not everybody gets that. Not everybody receives that. Not everyone is loved to the same degree. They're all loved by God. And in general, they're loved by believers. But not every believer is as loved by their believers. You say, I know, that's why I have it. No. You're one of those, right? Epaphroditus was loved. Let's see why. Let's see how. Number one, his training regimen. It starts with, my brother. My brother. Notice that his name, Epaphroditus, do you see any pagan deity in the middle of his name? Aphrodite, the, the, the goddess of, of, of love, of pleasure. Hey, this is, this is rough, man. He's got it in his name. It, it, would, almost, it would almost be like his name contained Marilyn Monroe or Madonna or, or, or Beyonce, a sex goddess. By the way, Americans have gods and goddesses too. They're called entertainers. They're called, they're called athletes. We have them too. Um, sometimes, it, it, 
sometimes people even really covet to have these little gods. They're, they're made out of gold, about this big, little statues of, of humans. You ever seen those before? And people will clutch them, and they're so thankful, and they cry when they get them. Because mankind worships gods. Always has, always will. There are false gods. Epaphroditus is a guy who was raised in pagan culture. He wasn't raised in church. He was named for a pagan deity. And yet, somehow or other, he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. When he heard the gospel, that is that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day in order to pay for your sins, he said, Epaphroditus, here's how it breaks down. You are trying to earn your own way to your own afterlife, whatever that might be. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there for a second. When Epaphroditus was confronted with the gospel, he had to make a distinction between how he had been raised and how God was presenting himself to him now. His culture, the way he thought what everybody said was important, and what God said through his word to him. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been confronted with the difference between what God said and what you think? If you have not been confronted with that, if you've never come face to face with the crucified and risen Jesus Christ and realized that he died for your sins, then you are not a child of God. A person becomes a Christian when they realize that they're a sinner and their sin is going to take them to hell. They're sinning specifically, not just I'm a bad guy and I want to do better, but they specifically know they've sinned against a holy God and that God is not happy with their sin. Salvation is not just add on a little bit of attendance to the Baptist church. Salvation is not just try not to be a bad person and keep the Ten Commandments. Salvation is recognizing I'm going to hell without Jesus. But Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead. It proved that he was the Son of God and that he was innocent of the charges that had been made against him. If I will put my faith in him, if I will put all of my weight, do I need to climb up on the pulpit again? Some of you remember the old days. I did that once. If I were to climb on this pulpit, the only thing that would be holding me up in the air would be this pulpit. I just saw Lucas come in, in this, from the lobby. Here, there he is. He wanted to see if I would get up on. That's great. Amen. Good to have you, Brother Lucas. The only thing that would hold me up would be this pulpit. The only thing that's holding you up if you're saved is Jesus Christ. Not your rededication to God. Not your, I'm going to try again. I'm going to turn over a leaf. I'm going to do better. I'm sick and I'm going to improve. I'm going to read Marcus Aurelius's meditations and I'm going to become a stoic and I'm going to improve my life. No, that's still you. That's still you. You know what you have to do in order to get to heaven? You have to put yourself in a place where if God doesn't come through, you're going to hell. There is no hope for you, period, outside of Jesus Christ. And that's what Epaphroditus did. My brother. You see, what happens when you put your faith and trust, he takes that, he implants the, the, the word of God in you, and you are born again a new creature. You are in God's family because Christ is in you. When a person is adopted, they don't get new DNA. They get a new position. 
But in Christ, spiritually, you do get new DNA. You are a new creature. And the adoption comes later for the believer. But we are made a new creature. So you are now in God's family. And by the way, it's not based on how good you were or, 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 or trying to fix how bad you were. It's based on a gift. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You now have the gift of eternal life. And you say, well, what if I lose it? Well, I guess it wasn't a gift then, was it? If God can take it back, then it wasn't a gift. Eternal life does not come with a gift receipt. You don't return it. You never lose it. He never comes and takes it back. It is a gift. He said, I give unto them eternal life. If it, if it can be taken away, then it wasn't eternal to begin with. It's eternal. And how do I know I'm going to heaven? I know I'm going to heaven not because I've been in church all my life, which I have. Not because I'm a faithful church attender, which I am. Not because I give to church, which I do. All of those things. And this, you know, hold on, hold on, people. I could stop doing all of those things and still go to heaven. I could. How? I didn't get the gift of eternal life because I ever started doing those things. I got it because I asked God to save me. And he said, I will, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will not get rid of you. You're in my family. So when did you become a child of God? Paphroditus did. He's a brother. But then notice next, it starts to ramp up a little bit. He said, my companion in labor. He's willing to work. He's willing to join in the work. You know, Epaphroditus received this honored position of being loved and cared for because he followed this pathway. Not only is he saved, but he's willing to work. Okay, so here's the thing. If your Christian life consists of coming to church and sitting down and listening and going, thank God. You're a child of God. You're in the right place. God wants you here. But you know, Epaphroditus was the kind of guy who wanted to go a little bit further. He wanted to be a companion in labor. You know, that's, that's what the word company com- is connected with. A company. It's, it's someone that is eating bread with you. That's, that's where the, the pan side of it is. All right? The Spanish word for bread is pan. You are eating bread with someone. You are now communicating with them and maybe less of, a, uh, of just a formal setting. Now you're interacting with those people. Maybe you're going to Panera together. You're sitting down and you're enjoying real life and you're, you're coming alongside and say, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. You see, what people say, when I, I, I just want, I just, you know, I need to go to church. I need to go to church. You do need to go to church. And you ought, if you're not going to church on a regular basis, you can't be following the word of God. Now, a lot of people get hurt in church. A lot of weird stuff happens in church. How many have ever had something weird in, happen because of church? Raise your hand nice and high. Look around. How many had more than one thing weird happen because of church? Amen. How many of you are the weird thing that's happening in church? I knew it. The ones that didn't raise their hand. That's the ones. Amen. He's a companion in labor. You know what life comes down to? Work. A lot of life comes down to work. And you know what American culture tells us? You don't have to work. You don't have to work. You know the reason why we have such bad service today? is because people have this niggling idea in the back of their mind. 
that I deserve to be paid even though I don't want to work. That's why they don't show up to work. You know, you work with people, they just check out. That is, I'm not showing up today. Or they quit. Hey, companion in labor means work, if work needs to be done, I'm there. I'm there. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this. If God leads you to do it, sometimes you will work alone. You will be by yourself. God does not intend for you to develop calluses in your heart saying, well, nobody else works, but I work. I was raised that way. Please spare us. This is, this is not about your great character. Hey, thank God for people who work hard, but God wants us to be companions in labor. See, it's not just a matter of who's going to help me dig the hole. Ain't nobody here to dig the hole. That's the way it is in this church. That's the way it is in this world. Hey, you want to do something done? You got to do it yourself. Get in there and dig the hole. No, God wants you to help other people as we dig the hole. I can tell you don't believe that. (laughs) You know why? Because the person you trust most is yourself. Because I know what I can do. I know I'll be faithful. And by the way, that's good. That's the start. You got to be dependable. But Paul said, he's my companion in labor. He came alongside me and he helped. And then watch the third thing. He's my brother, companion in labor. And then he said, and fellow soldier. You see, this is going beyond just being willing to sweep the floor and make coffee and clean toilets and, you know, put tables and chairs away and dig holes. This is intentionally placing yourself in dangerous situations. You see the trajectory? You'll never get to the place of fellow soldier. Not, not lone ranger, fellow soldier. That means I'm, gonna, I'm willing to stay in the foxhole with you. You know what the guys will tell you at the Battle of the Bulge? We were fighting for one another. Old glory was not in our minds at that point. We, we weren't thinking about our wonderful country. In some cases, they weren't even fighting for their sweethearts anymore. They were fighting for one another. And you know what? Whenever you talk about the foxhole, you're talking about at least two men and more fighting together. You have to have that in the battle. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to fight together. He wants us to form, to link arm in arm. And that's what Epaphroditus is willing to do. He's willing to stand out and contend for the faith. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that you were willing to say, actually, Scripture says something differently. That's contending for the faith. You know the reason why we don't do that? Because we're afraid. Another reason we don't do that is because we're not really sure of the answer. When you get sure of the answer, you will stand and confidently say, here's the truth. You know, one of the reasons why they go to basic training, the men and women in the military, basic training or boot camp, they go there and they go through what some people call brainwashing. The idea is to remove your hair and to remove your attitude and your own mission and have it be submitted to the mission of our country. An army of how many? One. An army of one. That means that I am the army And that means that there is only one army. You are the army and everyone else is the army. We are an army of one. Paul said Epaphroditus gets it. He's willing to go toe-to-toe. But can you imagine a a, a military, an army, in which the soldiers really didn't think that the other guys on the other side were really the bad guys? I think that's where a lot of Christians are. 
They think Jesus is great. He's like my flavor of ice cream. I love it, man. You ask me, Rocky Road, that's the thing, man. I like Rocky Road. But you know, you can like whatever you want. You're not a very good fellow soldier. You see, we're not talking about flavors of ice cream. We're talking about truth and falsity. Talk about right and wrong. And if you're going to stand up for something, you have to know whose side you're on. Whose side are you on? Well, I think that we should just be allowed to have religious liberty. Thank God for it. And I think that we, I, I, don't, I don't mess with the people at my workplace. I got people that believe their own thing. I don't say nothing to them because, because why? Because you think truth is like ice cream? You're not willing to stand and say, this is what truth is. You can't be a good fellow soldier unless you're willing to stand and say, I am on the Lord's side. Paphroditus was that man. As caring and as sensitive as this man was, he wasn't what some people would call a macho man. You know who he was? He was a Christ-like man. He was a warrior poet, a man who was sensitive enough to care about individuals, to people that, that cared. He cared for them. But then he was willing to stand and fight and risk his life. You know, the mantra today is peace and safety. Stay safe, people say. Stay safe. Why? The worst thing could ever happen to someone is if they weren't safe. Why? Because people think being alive is the most important thing. Physical life is the most important thing. Part of that is because we don't have anyone dying for our country like we did back in the in the 40s and in the 60s. There's very few people dying for our country. So we get this idea that life is all about just staying alive forever. But may I remind you that as believers, physical life is not all there is. There's spiritual life, and it's eternal. Epaphroditus, his training regimen included verse number 30 of chapter 2, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service. You know, faith healers say that, that God wants all his children way, all his children healthy and well. And, the, and there's one surefire way you know that you're not right with God is if you're sick. Well, what would he say about Epaphroditus? Because here's a man who was on fire for God, who was doing right, and he was sick nigh unto death for the cause of the ministry. Our, our mortal bodies wear out. They get sick. They get hurt. What should you do? Well, you should ride it out. Got some folks that are suffering right now. Some that are listening right now that are in great toil. Their bodies are wearing out. What should you do? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Look up and say, Lord, you promised to change this vile body and make it like into your glorious body. Help me to hang on to the end. Not for my soul's salvation, but for my body's salvation. God's going to change your body. Hang on. Keep your heart looking up. Epaphroditus was doing that. You'll notice here that he said God had mercy on him. God had mercy. Now we saw his training regimen. Let's look at his ministry role. First of all, it says your messenger. He had something to say. He was a messenger of the gospel, possibly a pastor of this church in Philippi. But he certainly was a messenger of the Philippians' love for Paul. He was the kind of person that had something to say. Do you have a message? You see the trajectory. My brother, my companion in labor, my fellow soldier. 
but your messenger. You don't get to jump to messenger. You've got to be involved all the way along. See, this message is not for, for, for anyone other than those who really want to do something in their Christian lives. It's very simple. Recognize your position in Christ. I'm a brother in Christ. Number two, I want to get involved. I want to, have, I want to be a companion in labor. Number three, I'm willing to take a stand and step out and be uncomfortable. I want to be a fellow soldier. Let me ask you this question. Does God intend for every believer to be a fellow soldier? Or just some of them? All of us. Now, we may stand on different battlefronts, but God intends for every one of his believers, every one of his children, to be fellow soldiers. And then he said, your messenger. This is a guy that was trustworthy enough by the church to be chosen to carry something very important. Some people want to jump to the, to the front of the line and say, hey, put me in a ministry. Hey, let me do something important. Well, we need help. We need help. But we don't just need anybody. We need somebody who has proven themselves along the way. And that's what he got. He said he's a messenger, but also he that ministered to my wants. He's a servant. He's a servant of whom? First of all, he's a servant of everybody of Philippi. It says, he longed after you all. See, what happened when Epaphroditus heard that the Philippians had heard, he was really bothered by that. He wanted to say, guys, I, I'm okay, I'm fine. He cared about everybody. He said, I just want to see their faces. It was like he had been away for all these months, I don't know how long, and all he cared about was getting back and seeing these folks. He longed after them all. He didn't have exceptions. He didn't have special cliques. Who do you want to see? I, I just want to see everybody. I remember one time uh, years ago when I was growing up, I have eight sisters and, and there was a guy that was kind of, we used to say, circling the field. He didn't know exactly where to land and he, he was interested in one of my sisters. He didn't know which one. And, uh, and, and, and he asked my dad, he said, can I write to your girls? Something like that. And dad said, which one? And he said, well, all of them. <laughs> he, he, he was an equal opportunity boyfriend for anyone that wanted to, you know, to share in his love. That would be fine. You know, that's kind of a humorous example, but that's, that's the way Epaphroditus felt. I can't wait to see the Philippians again. Which ones? All of them. All of them. That attitude of, I care about everyone. And what was interesting is he was weighed down with this burden. He, he was a servant to them. He loved them. And he was sensitive to each of them. He was concerned about how he impacted other people. He's not weighed down with this burden because he had been sick. He's troubled because other Christians heard that he had been sick. You ever, you, are you the kind of person when you get sick, you don't want to talk to anybody? You don't, want, you don't want to be around them, you want to be by yourself, and you want to suffer, right? Why? I don't know all the reasons. In Epaphroditus' case, he was sick, and he was worried that other people were worried about him. In fact, it seemed to be a bother to him that he was a bother to other people. It really bothered him, and he wanted to clear that up. The sensitivity, you see what I mean by a warrior poet? The sensitivity that he had was that he could be impacted by the feelings of other people. And I'm just telling you, you cannot be impacted by people if you're not around them. You've got to make a determination. You know what happens? Churches, this is what happens in church. It happens in every church. 
People come and they sit down and in the auditorium. What's an auditorium? It's a place where you listen. And thank God for that. I think it's a great tool. I think it's a, it's a biblical, scriptural tool. A place where we come to listen, to hear the word of God. But if we're not careful, I come to hear the word of God. You come to hear the word of God. She comes to hear the word of God. And we hear the word of God. And then we go our separate ways to our own real lives. And we don't interact with one another. And the reason why that's so dangerous is because if I'm supposed, if Epaphroditus is really my example, my template, that means I have to care about people. In fact, I have to care about how they care about me. He's like, this is like weird. This is like touchy-feely, or as, as brother, uh, brother Delaney, Brother Sam Delaney says, feely touchy. He's from Ireland. Feely touchy. Does that feel like that this morning? You're, you're asking me to be somebody that I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm asking you to, to be somebody that Christ is. You see, this is not difficult for us to do. It's impossible for us to do in our own strength. Why? I'm not built that way. I'm not that way. I do not care about other people. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands on that. I'm afraid my hand might go up. Doesn't matter what you think, it matters what Christ thinks. Does he care about other people? Is he touched with the feelings of our infirmities? This is the kind of guy that Epaphroditus was. And you say, well, I mean, that, that's just an example. Yeah, he took up six verses of scripture to talk about this. You know what that means? And by the way, this is in the same passage with the, the great example of Christ himself, who humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even death at the cross, he was made a servant, and then God also highly exalted him. Paul is getting ready to exalt Epaphroditus, not as Christ, but as an example of Christ in him. You know what God wants us to be? He wants us to be caring and sensitive to the needs of other people. You say, well, I'm not. Okay, I challenge you. If you're not sensitive to anything, I would assume you don't listen to anything on the radio. I would assume you don't watch any television. I would assume you have no hobbies. You don't, you don't buy things for the hobby. I would assume that you don't like to eat. Hey, listen, sensitive means having senses engaged. Eyes, ears, ton, t- your taste, your feeling. That's all it is. Christians, God wants us to be sensitive to the needs of other people. That means that I'm going to have to stop gorging myself yeah, I don't know about, sometimes uh, my daughter will call me and she'll say, I'm making something special. This happened just recently. I'm making something special to eat. And I'm thinking, I just ate. So now I got to get home. And she says, you don't like it? You don't like it? No, I like it, but I'm full. I'm not going to be impacted in the same way as if I were hungry. You know what happens, Christians? We gorge ourselves on soap operas I'm sorry, Instagram, (laughs) drama, TikTok, Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is that you're into, we gorge ourselves on those things. And it's not that we're watching something even horrible, it's that we are sapping our feelings away. You might just dive into books and read, 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 and you get your feelings Uh, both coming and going in this little world in your mind and it's not real. Facebook does this. 
the rise and fall of emotions. Because let's just face it, you can't. You can't care about everyone all the time. You just can't. Maybe we need to cut back a little bit. Maybe we need to focus. Save your emotions for that which is truly important. And I would encourage you to say one thing. I say this about missionaries. You don't really care about the gospel getting around the world if you don't care about it getting around Toledo. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it may, it may sound not true, but it is true. You don't really care about foreign missions if you don't care about the local gospel get, getting out locally. Let me say something else. You really don't care about people across the country and the difficulties they're in if you don't care about people in your church. Ooh, maybe we should close in prayer. If you don't care about people in your church, it could be that you're taking all of your emotion and energy and you're putting it to your Facebook friends or someone across the... Why? I like those people. Hey, we all have our favorites, don't we? We all like the people we like. Isn't Isn't that what Jesus said? If you give to people who give to you, what thank have ye? You know what the Lord intends us to do? To be put together in this body where we actually reach out. If you don't even have a member's number in your phone and you're a member, you can't possibly be loving and Christ-like towards the people of this church. Now, maybe you've sworn off cell phones and you just go door-to-door with, you know, use a telegraph or whatever. That's fine. But you've got to connect with these people. I'm using very practical examples because Epaphroditus almost died because he cared about people. I'm not asking you to almost die, but maybe a little sacrifice. You know what might be a sacrifice for some of you? Now, as Paul said, the rest say I, not the Lord. I'm I'm just going to meddle a little bit here. You know what might be a sacrifice for some of you? Inviting someone to eat in your house. My home is my castle. Must be nice. Paul didn't have a castle. Epaphroditus ends up sick in a, in a foreign country. Maybe having someone over your house would be a huge sacrifice for you. Maybe inviting someone out to a neutral location would be a start. Connecting with people. Maybe saying, hey, we'll bring the food. Can we come over your house? Whoa! It's crazy. But isn't it true that if we're going to get to know people, it comes down to being within arm's reach of them. It does. Now, I'm not telling you, that's why I said the rest say I, not the Lord. I'm not telling you that it is scripturally the precedent that you must have five people over your house every week or you're not right with God. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. If you're following the rat maze that is called American culture that says the goal is to go out and get all you can and then get home to your castle where no one can hurt you, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. Well, I don't want people... You know what the problem is for many of us? We want people to think that our homes are immaculate. We want them to think that we are millionaires. So whenever they come over, it's like visiting the, the, you know, the Oval Office, the White House. Wow, this is amazing. Here are a couple of things you could do. Number one, take a chill pill. Stop worrying about it. You're not the king and queen. Number two, clean your house. 
So you're not always like, oh, this is such a big deal that I have to do the dishes in the sink. Just keep your house clean. Invite people over. Lord, this, are you sure about this message? <laughs> I know I'm talking to Toledoans here, Lord. You know it's Midwesterners. We're not Italians here, Lord. You know, Paul wasn't Italian either. Epaphroditus was Greek. You see, we like to make excuses about why we can't be what God tells us that we should be. At the end of the day, where does it leave us? It leaves us where we always have been, caring about ourselves. Focused on ourselves. Epaphroditus took a different route. And notice, lastly this morning, his reward. His reward. In verse 28, we see, I sent him, therefore, the more carefully. You know, Paul was very concerned. He had care for Epaphroditus before he ever sent him back out on the road. He said, man, you just about died. I don't think you're, I don't think you're ready. He said, no, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got to get back to Philippi. I love those people. I want to be a blessing. So Paul let him go, but with some reluctance. He said, I'm, I'm really concerned about your well-being here. Did you notice that? It's hidden here. It's not even said. But did you notice Paul sent him the more carefully. Paul's concerned that his health is not what it should be. But did you notice that he's sending his own personal RN away from him? His caretaker, he that ministered to my needs, my wants. Paul's had all kinds of beatings, trials, tribulations. And Paul is showing his Christ-like care for other people by saying, I know what I want. If you go to Chipotle, here's my order. Paul is saying, I don't actually, I'd rather you get full. This is not human. I'd rather you be taken care of. And he said, I'm very careful. But as he's saying, I'm really concerned about your health. I want to make sure you get back over there. What about the fact that he's leaving Paul? Isn't that instructive for us as believers? It's all the example of Christ-likeness. Christ cares more about those who need that help. He's letting him leave, giving up his own self-interest. That's his reward. It's loving care. Other people invested in him. You say, no one calls me. I hate to say this to you. If no one shows concern or call, number one, you are experiencing what Christ experienced. Everyone forsook him. Paul himself said, all men forsook me and, and, and fled. But remember, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It could be, trying to say this gently and kindly, it could be that no one contacts you and no one cares about you because you're reaping what you sowed. I'm not trying to be mean. It could be. I don't know that's 100% the case. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm just supposed to be miserable? No, I would start sowing now. Right now, today, start sowing so that you don't have to have that bitter harvest. So that in the future, you can say, you know what you'll find? When you start investing and sowing, you care less about the fact that the phone's not ringing because you're thinking about picking it up to call someone else. It changes you. The love of Christ will change you. And he only received the loving care, but also received, in verse 28, you see, uh, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice. He had a joyful reception. 
They were happy to see their good old friend Epaphroditus. And Paul's happy because they're going to be happy and Epaphroditus is happy. You see, he's finding this joy in ministering to others. And he said, I want you guys to rejoice when you see Epaphroditus. This is a good man. And then lastly, a place of honor. This is his reward. Look at verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. If we were going to take the most popular person in church and somehow do a little survey, who should we hold in reputation? Would it be Epaphroditus? Your favorite guy in church? Paul said, you ought to, you ought to hold him up and reverence that guy. Why? Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Over and over again, Paul said, uh, the, the folks that have, have given and, and have sacrificed, he says, acknowledge them. He said, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. He said, you need to thank those people and lift them up and say, that's the kind of guy we're trying to produce here. Now, I, would, I could do that this morning. I could point to some of you and say, that's the kind of woman right there that is exactly what God wants us to produce here at Hope Baptist Church. That's the kind of man. You say, well, I don't think that's right. Paul said it's right. He said, hold those people in reputation. Why? They are worthy of more honor. Why? They are not only brothers, they're companions in labor, they're fellow soldiers, they're servants who go above and beyond. They're sensitive to the needs of others. He said, that's the kind of person. You know, sometimes as Americans, we want this equality that says, we're all the same, ain't nobody different, everybody's the same, you're not any better. Paul said, no, this guy's better. This guy you need to remember. A man who was willing to be brave enough to risk that journey, to stand with Paul in the midst of political opposition, to say, I will sacrifice and care about you even at the point of death. I'm going to come back. When I get better, I want to go back and be a blessing again. You see, Epaphroditus did it for the work of Christ. He had a different storyline in his mind. What's your storyline? What's your story you're writing? Is it a successful career? Is it accumulating as much wealth as possible? Is it a political story where world history hinges on Washington, D.C.? Is it a story where you get all the leisure and entertainment that's finally, that's due to you after all these years? What is your story? You have to live according to the story that, 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 that's in your mind. You know what Epaphroditus had? A different story. He said, I'm doing this for the cause of Christ. And he said, I got near to that chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, it was a cliffhanger. And I didn't know if I was going to die or not. I was the most miserable I've ever been. But God put another chapter in there. Whose story are you working through in your life? Who's the hero of your story? What's the plot line? I encourage you to look at Epaphroditus. To borrow his storyline, it says, for the cause of Christ, I'm willing to do whatever is necessary in order to be used by him to be a blessing. And in so doing, literally live the life of Christ on this earth. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.